Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, White Sox fans, it is Believe in White Sox, podcast number seven. And again, this is seven in a row. Tommy Barbie, my co-host, he joins me. Hey, welcome to Looking Number Seven, Tommy. Happy to be on board. All right. Well, it is sort of a happy number seven because the White Sox, hey, they're they're good again or something. I guess the, the Minnesota Twins are will cure what ails you after a pretty flat start to the last homestand before the All-Star break. And really, if we extend it even back to Pittsburgh where they could only split, uh, sort of a flat team, maybe understandably so because the offense has got like triple-A guys and double-A guys and a couple major leaguers and a couple major leaguers are not hitting like the major leaguers they are. Uh, they managed to really take the uh, Minnesota Twins out to the shed and take three. It would have been four. Uh, rain saved them from one, I think. But uh, three straight games and some momentum going into a long yet sort of cream puffy uh, uh, road series before uh, the All-Star break. Absolutely. Um, you know, the offense came alive. The Sox are hitting homers again. And, uh, you know, things are things are looking up. Uh, checking in on the team, as it seems like we do each time, or I do because I'm a nerd or whatever. Uh, 14 and a half ahead of the Twins, uh, four and a half, I think, up on Cleveland. Cleveland's doing the best they can to sort of uh, give us an additional first uh, first place pad. But yeah, just sort of be the only other team in the AL Central. Uh, we got a magic number of 80, Tommy. Uh, run differential is up to 95, which makes them fourth in baseball, second in the American league. And if you correlate that to what they project record wise for the season at that run differential rate, they are going to be a 101 win team, slightly more wins than both of us predicted them for them before the season. But even if you just take the straight winning percentage, knowing that Tony Rizzo is going to screw a few games up, uh, that's a 97 win pace they're on right now. Uh, yes. it is important that they, uh, uh, eat up all they can from this delicious buffet that is laid out for them before the all-star break, which includes Detroit Tigers, more Minnesota twins, and then just for kicks, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, we feeling good about how they are going to play into the all-star break, Tommy? It's hard not to. I mean, um, really, after, after Donaldson kind of did his little <laughs> antics the the Sox uh definitely wanted to make sure they they finished off the twins and i think they'll maintain that same edge uh throughout the rest uh, of the series leading up to the all-star break so i i look for more good things from them yeah nothing sums up the week for the for the twins or, or for for this twins white sex rivalry then the twins i believe yeah it would have been the second game uh, immediately starting to crow about Josh Donaldson and Homer. And then like mere innings later, like doing all the frowny, like, you know, whatever memes or something, you know, like make it end or whatever. I mean, in the course of just mere innings, I mean, this yep. is really not that it's important that you put necessarily uh, uh, stick the sword through the twins part. Cause they had already done a good job of that themselves, but exactly. I mean, this really does whatever season they thought they were going to have winning, like, two out of three games the rest of the season just to get to 90 wins, uh, their season's dead. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it it was kind of satisfying in a way because, I, you know, the White Sox have a nasty habit of letting teams just kind of linger and hang around. And this was, you know, just a pure – they they ended them. I mean, yeah. by the end of it, the the Twins players looked absolutely dejected 
And mm -hmm. I, I think that that's the kind of killer instinct that if the Sox mm -hmm. are supposed to be this deep run playoff team, these are the things that you want to see throughout the season. And now we have to worry about the third place Tigers. The third place Tigers are in better shape than Minnesota. Uh, you know, they're healthier or whatever. Um, so, so now that's the team we got to worry about. Wait, let, let's not even talk about Detroit. Let's talk about the Kansas City Royals. <laughs> Kansas City's lost like 50 games in a row. I mean, this yeah, team was it, supposed to be a little more competitive and their second, the White Sox second half schedule does feature plenty of Kansas City is getting a little less daunting by the fact that they are completely inept. What has happened to the Kansas City Royals? Kansas City can't buy one. I mean, I, you know, it's weird to say, but the team that honestly I think could give the Sox most trouble are, are the Tigers. And I, I just think that the Tigers being a younger team, being a hungrier team is kind of, they're still, they're still trending upward. So, I mean, I could see them giving the Sox a much harder time than teams like the Royals and even to a certain degree, a team like the Indians who they, like, they just can't stay healthy. Yeah. The, the Royals got a little bit of that, like Todd Frazier, uh, Robertson, that, that like era was that 2016, whatever that was. Like, yeah. where it's like, they weren't really sure where they wanted to go. Detroit's sort of still all in with like, well, we're just going to, whoever these guys are, we're going to play with them and see what figure happens. And yeah. That does make them more dangerous because you figure, okay, well, Carlos Santana, you know, he, you know, he may have just one and a half legs by the end of the season or, you know, the fact that Kansas city sort of dipped there, I mean, you know, kudos for going for it, but uh, through the first half, not looking like it's working out. So uh, you're right. Uh, really maybe even more so than Cleveland, depending on, I guess, on how healthy Cleveland gets. Uh, yeah. yeah, Detroit might be the, the biggest pest. So let's just, let's squash them over the weekends in case exactly. they get any, any illusions of, of actually competing for this division. The White Sox, of course, as we've checked in pretty much every time we've done one of these podcasts and in great shape, of course, because uh, all these projected, you know, number, I mean, they, they could project 85 wins, but if they're 20, I mean, right now they're projecting to, to, to win the division by 21 games. Um, that's a nice pad. Now, granted, that's a projection. Who cares? You know, they're only up, you know four or five games right now, but uh, it's nice to know that uh, no other team in the AL Central has a positive run differential. Really comes close. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're like, oh no, who's going to play third base if Yon Makana's out or who's going to play right field because Adam Eaton's out. But I mean, at this point, I'm not going to say the Charlotte Knights can, can do well in this division, but right now the Charlotte Knights with this pitching staff can probably can win well. this division. And right now they sort of are. So, I mean, yeah. you know, we're seeing it play out in real time that this is a half night's uh, lineup. So it's actually scary happening. to say that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? either Charlotte Knights or DFA castoffs from yeah. teams like the Pirates. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Cleveland is going to lament uh, three days into spring training, cutting Billy Hamilton loose. I tell you, they're like, all he needed to do was only hit right handed. Wow. Um, Okay, let's talk about maybe some Charlotte Knights because we had one come up uh, over this just this past uh, series in Gavin Sheets, and he really did about as well as you could expect a guy coming up and finally actually getting to play his second stint with White yeah. Sox, his first time actually playing. Uh, he just mashed hell out of the ball. He really did. I mean, just every at bat was coming in with really good intentions. Like you could see his thought process throughout the at bat. And a lot of times, especially, you know, first time up in the majors, you see guys kind of guess or try to figure out, Oh, I should look over here for a pitch or I should look here. 
he had a process that he just went through each and every at bat and executed. And the thing that impressed me most was that he really didn't try to pull anything. It was, he was just taking whatever was coming his way. So if it was a ball he could pull, yeah, he absolutely would mash it, to, you know, and pull side. But if it was something that was further away or, you know, harder that he couldn't get around on, he had no problems just kind of shooting it down to the, you know, corner outfield. And it's like, that's really all you could ever ask for from a hitter. Yeah. Hey, he's not scared of it. He's not scared of the major league's dead ball. He played in Birmingham. Uh, exactly. Uh, uh, 2019. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I played in the this dead ball easy. era. Yeah. I hit home runs in the dead ball era. And they, they still, they kept me in the organization. Uh, all right. Let's skip ahead to, um, I guess the development that came out of the game um, today, uh, recording on Thursday um, day game. And that is, you know, Makata injuring himself, yet another White Sox player injuring themselves sliding. I guess you have to injure yourself doing something. It's better than opening um, bottles of uh, water or, you know, whatever, some of the other more, or uh, Chris Sale jumping out of a truck, uh, yep. you know, whatever that is. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, hurt. It seems like he's definitely out at least this weekend's series at Detroit may or may not be on the injured list. Seems like it's plausible. A uh, player will be called up from Charlotte. It seems most logical. It's either Jake Berger, first rounder who's played all of uh, two months, um, essentially almost two months professionally. It's, it's basically right. almost that. Um, or Tim Beckham, who is uh, certainly more of a, a veteran MLB player, uh, less upside there, but has also mashed very well in Charlotte. So you cannot fault either one of these guys for being the two hitters who have put themselves in position to get called up. In your eyes, uh, what's the smarter uh, a call up? Uh, let's just presume for these nine games uh, to the All-Star break, and then maybe uh, the player doesn't even stick with the Sox. Yeah, I mean, for for me, bringing Berger up is a low-risk move where you get an opportunity to see what he has. You can showcase him for other teams that might be interested. And, you know, his defense may not be great, but I don't think he's any worse than Beckham is. So, I mean, I, I don't know that that's a huge downside uh, necessarily either from that aspect. So, I, I think in the spirit of the youth movement that the White Sox suddenly find themselves in in <laughs> mid-July, which is not ideal for this type of team. Um, it, it is perfectly in line with some of the other moves that the Sox have made recently. Yeah. Um, people have been complaining and, and probably uh, with merit, uh, Yohan Mankata's uh, defense has been um, um, sluggish maybe over the past couple of weeks at least. Um, but you know, if it's Jake Berger or maybe even Tim Beckham, it might be like, well, you know, you're, you're, you don't know what you have to, it's gone. Because... <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, you know, the, the, the Knights have um, sent out several um, really great highlights of Berger. He can make plays. It's just, yeah. I think a lot like with, like with a lot of guys, like with Tim Anderson, sometimes it's just the routine plays or team throws that you're not doing well. And that's not Tim Anderson this year, but, but certainly as a young player growing into being a major league shortstop uh, has had some of those, um, uh, you know, those types of gaffes. So, uh, you know, I guess hopefully if nothing else, you know, you're backing off set it and you're going to get plus production uh, from other places like, you know, like, oh, I don't know, like Gavin Sheets, you know, the rest of the youth right. movement. Um, but really actually the sneak move that the White Sox might do is uh, Blake Rutherford. He might be the third baseman. He might just get the call. <laughs> not doing very well. Why not? You know, the uh, team's high on them. You know, okay. Why not? Throw them uh, out there. Yeah. So sure. You know, um, because we couldn't have him play outfield, you know, right? No, an outfield. That's play too outfield. easy. Yeah. Um, 
my goodness. Uh, okay, well, you know, things are things are riding really high with the White Sox. I'm sure we'll be checking in at least once more on the Believe in White Sox podcast before uh, the All-Star break, because there's going to be great stuff to talk about. They're going to win probably six, seven, eight, nine more games before the All-Star break. And we're going to want to catch the wave and jump in on that and talk about it and giggle more and, and laugh at the Twins some more and all that stuff. Uh, let's briefly uh, take a spin around baseball. Uh, of course, the big... Um, ugly, 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 um, uh, abusive, uh, nasty, smarmy elephant in the room is Trevor Brower's um, um, missteps, continued missteps. And uh, I think, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no question uh, Trevor Bowers a jag off. We, we knew that a long time ago. So, I mean, there's probably not a lot of debate there. I think maybe an interesting thing to talk about is how the Dodgers have handled this so far. It seems like uh, nothing has been done by the Dodgers. And I understand the teams sometimes are a little handcuffed by what they, well, bad choice of words there, but uh, can uh, be limited by what they do based on what players association can push back on. And so maybe with a little sympathy to what the Dodgers can even be in position to do, um, still in all, um, this is not looking really good for the Dodgers, especially given the years that have led up to this because they've had similar types of situations and they've failed them as well. Yeah, and I, I also wouldn't let Major League Baseball off the hook either because, I mean, there were a slew of front office sexual <laughs> harassment issues going into the season. And I think just recently like the final personnel that have been publicly outed for being a part of it finally got fired and it, it it's just like you, it shouldn't take holding your feet to the fire to at least suspend bauer or any of these guys and just say you know what we understand you know that you have to go through the process all that but you gotta set like there's no reason People have been benched for far less. And it's ridiculous to me, even from a potential grievance standpoint, that that's the line that both Major League Baseball is walking as well as the Dodgers organization. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you just got to do the right thing. And if you end up getting hammered somehow, right? I mean, okay, maybe just maybe just take take that. I mean, how is the yeah. how is the public not going to be on your side for taking? I mean, granted, they're probably not going to be on your side in the first place for signing the jerk in the first place. But okay, right. past that, you can still do something here. And I mean, they were tweeting out but just this morning. They were sending out something about voting black and blue, some like association with the White Sox. You were tied into the White Sox. You know, it's the whole like I, yeah, Camelback connection. Yeah, you know, and I mean, okay, what are you going to do? Probably, but take that stuff down that stuff can't be allowed to surface and yet they do yeah. there's like wait they got billions of dollars in that organization it just seems like a lot of stuff um slips through the cracks and you know i guess say dave roberts uh you know not a good look there either acting like he's somehow handcuffed when uh right i believe just this just tonight's game they were making late last minute switches to the lineup so it's like wow this yep this uh yeah well but i mean it just i think to, to put a finer point on it it's like for years everyone has been saying exactly what trevor bauer is and for years those voices have been squashed or been given anecdotes of why that's not true and he's become he's been increasingly dangerous in a public way 
over the course of many, many years, and nobody's done anything about it because he can throw a ball. And it's like, it, you have to do the right thing and it shouldn't be so hard to do. I, you know, it's the same thing that Aroldis Chapman never really faced any consequences for his actions. And it's like, there are the guys that people decide to go after, the guys that MLB decides to go after, the inconsequential guys that are fringe players or relievers that are having one good year. And then, you know, it's like, okay, we'll suspend you for the rest of the season and you don't have to worry about it. But if you really believe in the empowerment of women, if you really believe in making sure that you are truly a partner in equality and equity, this is the stuff that you have to get right. And it's really just shocking and sad on so many levels that the easiest thing in the world that both baseball and the Dodgers could do, they're refusing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, again, apples and oranges, but Hector Santiago is going to be sitting for 10 games and not right. be paid. And uh, yeah. And apparently, uh, Turbar is still in line to make his start Sunday. Um, and uh, of course, it's a podcast for another day, but uh, uh, I feel somewhat vindicated. This is the debate that I had. Well, not this specifically, but it was Trevor Bauer debate with my friend i think uh steve stone and got blocked over um because you know, mm-hmm. i brought race into the fact that uh people might treat trevor bauer differently than they might treat like marcus stroman and let's face it marcus stroman hasn't done i'm not sure anything but he certainly has anything yeah near what trevor bauer has done in his life anyway and this was well Absolutely. before what we've just learned about trevor bauer so let's move on to trevor bauer because that is um I'm going to take a pause here and just wash my mouth out here for just a second uh, because it's necessary. I mean, and again, this is talking about Trevor Bar before uh, anything was learned a day or two ago. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, now it's worse. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is a guy who might just go away from baseball. I mean, maybe there, I mean, there's definitely no good outcome from this. But at this point, given what has happened, the good outcome is maybe not having to see this guy again. Yeah. It's a distinct possibility. Uh, all right. Uh, with, with that as a key segue, again, terrific co-host here for you. Tommy, sagging now into some maybe perhaps lighter topics. Uh, let's get into some bonus categories. Let's not talk about the 2021 Sox. Although it is fun. We, we should just be talking for hours about them because this stretch is a real fun time to talk for a couple hours about them. But we do not want to disappoint the tens of thousands of Believe in White Sox listeners out there. So let's get into some fun stuff. I want to know. If you have five, if you have three, if you have 10, if you have a whole lineup, you have a rotation, I want to know your favorite all-time White Sox players. And I'm not talking about like all-time like Ed Walsh, because who wouldn't, who, why wouldn't Ed Walsh be a favorite player? He was a, he was a monster. He's a workhorse. <laughs> but we never saw him play. So we're talking about guys no. we saw play, got pretty close to our era of seeing players. Yeah. Um, my five would be... Um, I, I don't know if this will be a surprise or not, but my five would be, I, I would start with Carlton Fisk. Oh, okay. he was my first, first favorite. Wow. Um, Cause he really made, he made an impression on me just from such a young age. Cause like, I, you know, I knew abstractly that he had been around for a while, but I didn't realize like how high level he played at such an advanced age at catcher. Yeah. When, yeah your career is usually shot yep. after 10 years. Yeah. And 
Um, so just always thought the world of him for that reason and for you know just the grit that he showed for the yeah. entire career that he had with the White Sox. Yeah, he was a machine. And you know, let's face it, Tom, you're you're, you're a cranky guy, so you appreciated the crankiness <laughs> of a child of this. You know, it, it it's I felt the connection. <laughs> All right, well, because you revealed your your first favorite, I, I'll I'll cut in and just throw my first out, and that's Chet yeah. Lemon. Chet Lemon was my nice. my very very favorite. Uh, loved him. The fact that I even got to interview him a couple times, got to meet him, talk to him, tell him what he meant to me as a as a young White Sox fan is a, a nice little bonus. Two, got to tease him about the fact that even though he was considered such a a gold glove level, even though he did never win a gold glove, certainly not with the White Sox. He'd catch the ball at his shoulder. And me and my dad mm-hmm. used to play catch that way and sort of, he used to say, Brett, this is what you don't do, but let's have fun with it. This is what we don't do. Anyway, yes, that was my that was my equivalent to Carlton uh, Fisk. But please, give me the rest of your lineup. No, that's a great pick. Um, my second is uh, also early 90s, Jack McDowell. Um, I, I apparently have a thing for surly White Sox <laughs> yeah, really, you cornered the market. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, also just I don't think it history's been interesting because it's like as dominant as he was, I think now people don't realize not just how good he was, but how good most of those pitchers were. Like you're talking about McDowell. Fernandez like they they were so good and um it's just not something we talk about or celebrate a lot so um McDowell's the other Frank Thomas of course um you know is a given um I just always I think the thing I appreciated the most about his game and watching him play is that you see this like just massive hulk of a man on, on tv but he was such a smart hitter and never just like outright mashed the ball Mm -hmm. and i always especially once the steroid era became like this larger than life thing always felt kind of bad for him because it was just like you saw i remember watching um barry bonds at that peak and sammy sosa and watching them play it was kind of like watching you know somebody beat a three-year-old in a video game like it just never looked fair but then you watch frank thomas and it's like no he's actually taking an approach to the game and respects the craft of the game and Mm -hmm. it was just always at a different level for me yeah Um, he wouldn't chase he wouldn't chase and and that 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 discipline you can really appreciate because he could kill the ball he could hurt you with the ball but then he wouldn't compromise and there's i'd say there's something to that yeah 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 and i mean all the way through his career he he always approached it that way and it's just like there's so many other guys that would have taken shortcuts not just in terms of performance enhancing drugs but even just turning into a pull hitter just so you could hit more home runs and that's not something that he ever did yeah. Um, the last two for me, um, first one is Maglio Ordonez, who I know Ozzy Guillen hated with the passion <laughs> for good reason. Um, but just the sheer numbers that he put yeah. up, like there, like there's a good run in him mm-hmm. where it was just like these insane numbers. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that he was just going to, you know, go on and have this monster career. And of course, injuries kind of derailed that, but he always, you know, even I think is, I remember watching him as a rookie. It was like the first week that he got called up and just the way that he played the game. I was like, there's something really special here. 
and just watching him develop and flourish in that way was really cool. Yeah, um, even in a truncated and, career, I mean, he qualifies as one of the best White Sox outfielders. White Sox in history. players. That speaks exactly. to, you know, maybe their prowess in the outfield. But I mean, yeah, hats off to him for sure. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least for me, and um, this one is somebody I met at SoxFest. So mm-hmm. I like that adds to the experience, but it's actually Ray Durham. And yeah, Ray Durham's Ray another Ray. guy yeah. that I just thought was yeah. not only cool, but like so damn good yep. and talented and never got credit for it. Yep. And he didn't have like the oversized personality of some of the other guys that he played with. So I think, you know, that was part of it, but always seemed like a guy that was a little bit ahead of his time in terms of what he brought to the table mm-hmm. and what he was appreciated for. Oh, loved Ray Durham. I was wondering if we'd have any overlap. I mean, we're not, <laughs> not that much older than you, Tommy. Come on. Yes, Ray was, he's, he's always the first guy after, after Chet uh, for me. The, the, the smile, the, you know, he had the effervescent mm-hmm. uh, play, uh, sneaky value, sneaky yeah. high value, yeah. um, uh, some sneaky great seasons for sure. Um, for me, I'll, I'll pick another guy very similar just because I always loved him before he came to the White Sox. When we came to the White Sox, this is the first time I think I remember a trade where I was like, oh my God, they got like one of my favorite guys, Tim Raines. Uh, getting oh, Tim yeah. Raines was like, yeah. you know, granted, he was already maybe just maybe lost a half step, although maybe mm-hmm. not initially, but, but oh, just it was a vindication. I sort of felt like the White Sox were, they were like a real team. It maybe was the first trade where I thought, man, they're a real team. Yeah, they're really like competing on a different level. I know when Reinsdorf came in and, and signed Carlton Fisk after they had already signed like eight catchers that offseason uh, before they took over uh, was sort of a, a little bit of indication there, too. And they made some trades that indicated that as well. But that's the one that I thought, wow, that's a blockbuster. This is like a top right over the top, top guy yeah. in the majors. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'd loved uh, having him just as a as a favorite guy. Um uh, AJ Brzezinski, <laughs> I, really? I liked just his don't give a damn attitude. <laughs> and you know, he was, he was, so there's you, Surly, <laughs> reflecting my, my uh, uh, win at all cost <laughs> attitude about the game of baseball. Yeah, AJ, I loved, I always thought was, um, underrated uh leader even i don't think he might yeah. agree with me but no, i thought no, underrated yeah. leader uh even he wouldn't i would talk him up you know i was lucky enough to cover the team for a couple of years and, and got to talk to him and you know i would say things like that to him and even he, you know i mean of course you could have false modesty and be like oh yeah i should be the captain right. of this team or whatever but yeah i don't think he necessarily bought into it either and you know i think you see him as a broadcaster and i could see him having uh maybe a little distance from the game uh being able to play that kind of role um where he, I think he might be a pretty good leader. But then I thought that of Carlton Fisk too, and I don't think anybody is lining up ever to hire him <laughs> as a manager. I guess I had to, I, I sort of initially forgot about Tim Raines, so I'm cheating. And of course, Frank Thomas sort of has to be on there. I, yeah. I, I see too much of the eugenics Frank Thomas now to like, it's, it does sort of color me. I'm sorry, and I apologize. Big hurt. But, you know, I saw you know you as that guy who's sort of like his post-career wrestling career. And it, yeah. it does somehow, it confuses me a little bit. But of course, come on, Frank, you can't not have Frank Thomas no, on your exactly. list. But the two guys I, I think I would mention would be, uh, again, another guy I got to sort of meet and get to know, just a, a, such a sweet, humble guy. and sort of got to cover him during his very brief ascent in the majors, that Sergio Santos. Uh, such an incredible, yeah. um, fun story of being a shortstop and then covering a new pitcher. Doesn't usually end up working out 
ever. No. And the fact that he even had himself a, a season and change or a couple seasons and actually getting paid before getting traded. Mm -hmm. uh, just a real sweet story. Just such, such a nice guy. And in a different way, even though I never really got to, to talk to him, I did get to approach him in the locker room and tell him that he was my wife's favorite player. Um, and he was very gracious in hearing that. Tadahito Gucci. Uh, just <laughs> coming in just out of nowhere um yeah. you know the whole the the crazy legend of like never even seen him play in person and just had seen the tape needed desperately needed a second baseman brought him in and just the fact that he's pretty much just hit the ground running and was a yep. real catalyst for a world series winning team and a great 2006 white Sox team he was a big Absolutely. he was a big part of that uh, one of my favorite plays I ever got to see in person was the play that he made um, at the to end the game. Oh, he you were was there. like almost parallel when to the ground. When he face planted. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Those visuals are extraordinary. I'm sure Cena was like, what just happened? But just when you see the freeze frame where his head is, I mean, that's not natural. That's no, all out. Not at all. Yeah. That's all out. Yeah. And for Japanese players who probably have the reputation of being not being um, the Pete Roses of the world, let's say, to, mm -hmm. for being the uh, very analytical and super intellectual, in addition to being brilliant, like each of Rose, um, just to see him lay out like that. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, man, you were there for that game. Maybe I was too. I don't remember. I don't think so, though. Wow. We've been, it seems like every important game we, We've were, been, we were at exactly. together. Yeah. We were friends, <laughs> friends before we ever knew it. Uh, all right. Well, that is an excellent 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever we came up with. It's interesting to me that you'd think the 83 team was the one that just, you know, stole my heart, broke my heart, of course. Uh, and I, you know, I was struggling. I'm thinking like, who would be there from the 83 team? And I, nobody really jumped out. I did love Carlton. Um, but nobody really, it's not like, maybe they're just all sort of as a collective, just like, it's okay, they were there. Yeah. And, you know, of course they, you know, did ultimately fail. Thank you, Tito Landrum. And so, I mean, that, you know, that heartbreaking, that's my, that's like the 1983 team's eugenics for me. So maybe there's a little taint there. And then even the <laughs> early nineties, you've got blackjack and I love blackjack too, but nobody really, I mean, you know, uh, Ah, you know, the, the core guys, I guess I did get rains on there. So, all right, nine, early nineties represent, not the early eighties, but uh, I'm sure we'll circle back and we'll, we'll I'll, I'll create, we'll, we'll come up with some other version of this. Okay. Now let's talk a little music because I like talking music with you. Uh, the question I asked you, and I'm not sure what you came up with. I have three examples, but I want, I want to know, uh, I want to know the, the, well, you, you tell me what it is. What did I ask you to do? It was, it was like sort of like a low key hit a favorite song that i would not predict from, from a band it's a favorite song by a band that would be considered a curveball and yeah. i wasn't sure how to consider this because <laughs> okay. I, I could see it where like there's two ways of looking at it and you know both are good questions so it could be both um you know is it like a band where it's you know a b-side that most people wouldn't think of by that band or is it like um you know guilty pleasure like mm. even though you know if we talk about whatever i secretly love the eagles in this song right <laughs> right yeah i guess i guess my intent was probably something maybe not on the i'm not in the canon or at the top of the canon i'll give you my example maybe this will help flesh yeah. it out for you and uh uh one of my one of the three i came up with is clash and mm -hmm. uh, my choice for my favorite Clash song would be This Is Radio Clash. And granted, that's not like not, it's not, on a, you know, it's not a deep B-side or whatever, but I don't think yeah. it's something people would come up with as their favorite Clash song. So that is certainly one of them for me. It's just the song that I fell in love with when I first saw it on MTV before I knew anything about 
probably punk or what the clash meant or how much more important they were to sort of the fashion attitude than they even were to the music uh and i just mm-hmm. loved the song and i still do i mean it'd be different too maybe there's a wrinkle to this is where like maybe years ago you thought that and you've since grown out of it or whatever but that's still probably my favorite clash song so that's the example i'm using if that helps illustrate it any better that that does okay. um <laughs> so now change your uh, answers yeah no i mean i think Oh, that's a really good question. Mm. So now I've stumped you. Well, because it's like I the way that I think about bands in particular is usually I, I try to as best I can catalog them based on their overall arch of their career mm. and not get so singles heavy because it's gotcha. like especially like late 80s and early 90s and pop music was a weird time where it was like singles were the thing Mm -hmm. and people stopped caring about albums as much and it was just like all right here here's a single here's right right. (laughs) and it became like this kind of like monstrous thing and i think it kind of fettered into the apple itunes era where Mm -hmm. you know people wanted to do the 99 cent download but it was like totally left field and not in fitting with like the rest of the music that the band made mm-hmm. um you know all of that being said here's one that i will say and i i think it's funny because it's a band that i mentioned as being one of the bands that i didn't really care for <laughs> gotcha and yeah you know um but i will say that as much as you two rubs me the wrong way <laughs> I always thought that sweetest thing was just like such like the the just like the most doe-eyed dopey Mm -hmm. song that like it it was a perfect 90s song yeah and I always embraced it for what it was and it took me a few a while to figure out that like yeah that is the exact same U2 that like Mm -hmm. pretends that they're an arena every time they play music and yet here's this other song that they did yeah if I remember correctly, when they repackaged everything for like, they did their greatest hits and then they did like a B-sides along with it. I, that song did sort of get a little like, sort of like late push. It was the late, yeah, So exactly. they had they had had their ear to the ground enough to say, hey, people are sort of picking up on this one. Because I, I do seem to remember that getting a little bit, not, not certainly that it would mean that that should be listed necessarily among the hundred songs you'd first think of associated. So I mean, of. that's yeah. is exactly the, uh, I guess that's exactly the, the point of the experiment, I guess, that I'm I'm getting at. So, all right, I will I will pick uh, I will pick a Led Zeppelin song. I don't think it's exactly buried deep, but uh, <laughs> my favorite Led Zeppelin song is "Over the Hills and Far Away," uh, in part okay. because it's one of the first I uh, learned to play and sort of the real challenge. And just I uh, liked the dynamic of the the power, but also the 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 acoustic and. Uh, you know, I don't think it's by any means buried. I don't think it's like nobody's heard of it. Of course not. But no, yeah. uh, as the one that stands out to me as what I would consider my very favorite without it being some sort of, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be too esoteric here at all. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the one that really jumps out at me as the, the favorite. And I'm, I'm doubting that that's necessarily number one for many other people who would be listening. They're very And you, you said you can play song. it too? Yeah. Can you still play it? <laughs> 
Let's see, where's the guys right there? It has not been uh, it does not have been bothered for probably a few years now. So I would definitely okay. need I would definitely need to limber up. Uh, and you know, the other one that jumps to mind, it's another one, it's probably even a deeper cut, but I always just liked it's just such just brassy power, just almost like ludicrous in its power, but I just I, I always got under my skin. I always loved it was uh, nobody's fault but mine. I just thought oh, it was just, yeah. like, just, just, it was just power to me. I mean, I don't know if mm -hmm. it was just like, if that's like some sort of like ACDC uh, precursors. It just, it just seemed to be just, we're going to just try to blow up the speakers. And uh, it always just tickled, <laughs> just tickled me. Yeah. But, uh, all right. So that's my Led Zeppelin 4 a no, that's that's a good one. And now I know that you play. So I mean, <laughs> I, I just, you know. <laughs> Learning things all the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the only other one that I can really think of, and this might be something that you know or not, or not um, I know that on the um, Killer Bees on, on the Southside Sox podcast, I do make a lot of uh, Michael McDonald references. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, for our Believe audience, worth going back and listening to. Absolutely. Yes. Um. But I, I am genuinely a huge Steely Dan fan Ooh, and right. I, I always have been. And um, so I, I think for me, a lot of it would be um, probably um, Don't Take Me Alive by Steely Ooh, Dan. Okay. And because um, the guitar work on it is just insane. Uh, Larry Carlton is yeah. one of my favorite guitarists. And um, yeah, I just, the fact that Steely Dan basically made a career of being jazz musicians masquerading as yeah. rock musicians, masquerading sometimes as pop musicians and getting away with it for yeah. basically their entire career. I, I just like am mind blown by that. Yeah. I love that you're picking. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm being insulting in, the, in, in hopes of getting a laugh, but the idea that you pick something <laughs> even close to Yacht Rock is just uh, delightful. And of course it's not. Of course it's not. You know, not, not in the way that uh, the blue-eyed soul of Michael McDonald is. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you could argue a Simpson fan like that. I mean, uh, other that's almost like anything you pick is going to be, could be a surprise to people. Not to say that they're not well-known, but they're maybe a couple of the actual radio songs, but then from there, almost anything you can pick and make somebody go, oh, yeah, anything okay. goes, that's, a, yeah. that's a cool favorite, or that's an interesting yeah. favorite. Uh, all right, well, my my third, I think I've already revealed that Talking Heads are my favorite band of all time, and my uh, favorite song of theirs actually comes from their very last album. It did get really? considerable play, but uh, that's not usually the order you do it, and it would be nothing but flowers just because it's, I mean, it's a great, great sound, uh, and it, clever super clever lyric that still makes me sort of laugh when i listen to it and that's probably a good test even though it runs a little bit long and the album the final album itself is certainly bloated uh yeah still probably my very favorite song and, and this might be the fact that there are some others that i've heard many more times so maybe there's just a little bit of ear fatigue there but really if i had to whereas there are other bands that are my favorites that i would just pick like the b-52s i still will say rock lob is still probably my favorite uh, maybe if you're going to, if you're going to put a gun to my head on Devo, I might say, you know, Whippet's my favorite. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> with, with talking heads, yeah, I'm going to pick, uh, yeah, I'm asking a talking head song 
to my wedding topic. So, I mean, and I don't even pick that one. So, um, uh, but yeah, that one uh, jumps out at me as just being the most fun. And, even, and it's, it's odd, but it would be a very, you know, like the very end of their career, probably when they've already decided to hang it up. Uh, so to move on. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the one that jumps out at me as my, my third pick was actually David Byrne track. Okay. So it's funny that you went with talking right. heads and okay. it's the project he did with uh, Brian Eno. Um, and it's uh, the song's called strange over overtones. Oh, sure. And I know that like for people that are fans of theirs gravitated towards that. I'm still surprised to this day that it never made it mm. beyond that in terms of popularity, because there is so much music that I, you know, hearing now and even at the time that it came out that used a lot of the same kind of sounds mm -hmm. and the same production techniques. And you can kind of trace it to that song and and that song is kind of a direct lift i think on some of talking heads earlier material too um so i've always just every time i hear that song i'm just like okay i'm in a good place for the next mm -hmm. three minutes like you know, <laughs> listening to that yeah yeah and that had such a push um uh with the uh God, what was the movie uh got a lot of play in a movie but at, at any rate i don't know um Interesting. Wow. David Byrne pick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing my life in the bush of ghosts very young and thinking it probably scared me a little bit, actually. It was so weird. Yeah. It was so <laughs> haunting. It uh, is. Yeah. It sort of freaked me out. So, uh, which is a good thing. It's good. It's mm -hmm. good to be. Uh, there's a few times songs have scared me. And that's a good thing. Cause you don't forget them, you know? Oh no. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I listened to Radiohead's Kid A and I was like, what the hell happened? To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember getting scared at Tomorrow Never Knows. That scared me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like listen to it in the dark. That, that's good. It really probably shouldn't, but yeah, it spooked me. And I mean, I would That'll, think that yeah. might've been part of the, uh, maybe part of the intent. So what the part of the appeal. And yeah. I was not yeah. taking acid at the time. So they're probably, that's my, probably would have made me more scared, but uh, that would have yeah. made it more scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little too young for that, but all right. Well, I guess that wraps up our musical segment of the podcast and probably does wrap up the podcast, Tommy. Uh, no doubt, because there's just going to be good news between here and the all-star break because it's just going to be good exactly. news we'll definitely be checking in with a believe in white Sox podcast we cannot let down the tens of thousands of listeners out there including plenty of barbies thank you for standing up barbies man uh core listener they're from the start some of the first subscribers barbie family members so shout out Got them on early. Them. thank yeah. you thank you tom for doing that because they you guys led the way you were the trendsetters now the thousands have followed They've all jumped over the breach behind the core Barbie listeners, the core subscribers. So thank you for Get that. Get on the bandwagon. Thank you for that. All right. Well, yeah. from the from the Eastern time zone, both Tommy and I will bid adieu to our Believe in White Sox audience. Thank you for sticking with us for podcast number seven. Thanks for hopping on once again, Tommy. And let's make it uh, eight in a row, uh, maybe sometime next week or yeah, let's do Absolutely. it next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let's keep uh, getting some more wins for the White Sox and send them into the All-Star break. I don't know. Let's say up uh, 10 games. Let's just make this. Let's make the second half a laugher, and uh, let's just have fun. Let's make it like keep 13 it in a row going into the All-Star break, and we'll talk about how great Jake Berger is. Next podcast, Tommy, what do you say? Sounds good. Hope he gets Homer. <laughs> One.
Let's go one per game. Come on, burger time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.